Hello and welcome to ProdPod. We're a part of This Is HCD. We're bringing all human-centred practitioners real and honest conversations about product management. My name is Adrian Tan and I'm the co-founder of BrainMates. Today we're talking to Jason Proud about establishing and measuring product success in financial services. Jason is a product leader at Morningstar. Since 1984, Morningstar's been helping investors achieve their financial goals by developing powerful research, data, and investment management products. Jason loves understanding and solving complex investor problems in simple, delightful ways. He currently leads two businesses for Morningstar, direct-to-consumer in Australia, and the global advisor experience for Morningstar Investment Management. Prior to his current role, he designed, built, and ran a direct-to-customer wealth management product for Morningstar. Before that, he worked at an investment research and funds management business, both on the product and investment research side. Hi, Jason. Hi, it's great to be here. You've been very fortunate to have been tasked with creating a new product from scratch at Morningstar called Morningstar Next. Tell us about that whole experience. Yeah, sure. I mean, inventing a new product is a great privilege. It's a lot of fun, but it's a lot of work too. So I joined Morningstar about three years ago and put together a team to tackle the opportunity. And really that was understanding what the business wanted to do. So the strategy, why it wanted to pursue a direct to consumer investment product. Traditionally, we distributed investment products via financial advisors. And then I had to work on taking a PowerPoint presentation essentially and turning that into a real product. So really interesting work. Excellent. And, you know, because you've got, you know, you're going direct to customer instead of direct to a business or investors, how was the business set up to allow you essentially to design and build a product? That's a great question. I was fortunate to have really good support from both my local boss, the MD of Australia at the time, and my divisional manager. So both of them were really keen on this idea. So they kind of created the environment that allowed us to go and try new things, take a few risks. We want to, as a business, be trying new things. So uh, they really set that structure up for me and then let me get to work. Excellent. And so what were some of the, I guess, more poignant changes that they had to make? What were some of the key changes in their business to allow you to do that? Leaving me alone. Uh, I mean, <laughs> Excellent. We love that. A lot of it was, you know, trusting me enough to put together a strategy and a plan and then letting me get on with executing it. I think that a lot of new businesses, particularly in existing businesses, can wither on the vine if they're not given space. And my direct manager and the local MD really let me run with the idea. We had a direct team. They all worked for me. We're working principally just on that product so we could go and do different things that would be a bit more difficult if you had to work within the constraints of an existing business. I love that. I love that, you know, one of the biggest things that you can allow product people to do is really give them the space the time to do it. I think that's um, that's really great for lots of larger organisations who typically want to control yeah, and um, I think the it's, process. And I think it's super hard, right? But yeah. the ideal way to run a business is say, you've got a good idea, I trust you, go do it. Now, that doesn't actually work, right? As yeah. soon as you have a business with more than a couple of people, you need some processes around things. You know, we're a listed business, so you need some structure. So you need to control the risk in certain ways. You know, in our business, we can try out a new business in Australia with 10 people, and that's not a 
big risk. We can control it by the size of the investment. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it makes sense that businesses want some structure before they let people go off and do things. Yeah, that's excellent. Now, there's been a change, and this is probably very exciting, I guess. It's not very often that we hear organisations make this kind of change, I don't think. But you've put your product, Morningstar Next, on hold, essentially. Tell me about that. How did that come about? How did you make that decision? Yeah, sure. It wasn't easy at all. I think if you put a couple of years of your life into something, it's sad if you have to change direction. But a good business has to sit there and weigh up the opportunities in the marketplace and really the opportunity cost of pursuing one opportunity over another. So when we're looking out a few years, end of last year, mid last year, and thought, okay, where can we have our teams focused and what are the biggest and brightest opportunities for our business? And we decided that direct-to-consumer kind of wealth management product in Australia, wasn't it? And it made sense to pivot the team and have them focus on something else, which they're now focused on the advisor experience for our global investment management business. So, you know, really tough. And like, if you've worked on a product and you make that kind of change, I'd be really disappointed if you weren't sad. You know, when we sat down with the team and discussed it with them, people looked upset. That makes sense. I want people on my team who buy into the vision and mission and what we're trying to do. But at the same time, I think, letting things drag on isn't a great strategic decision either. So Mm -hmm. it was good that we were able to make a swift decision, pivot and pursue a new opportunity. And I guess that goes around the whole concept about establishing some metrics before you build and then measuring them throughout, I guess, the time the product is in market. So did you do that? before you start? And did you hold yourself accountable to those numbers? Because I know numbers are really emotional. You look at them and go, oh, you know, hey, I meant to hit this, but I haven't, but they're here are the reasons and I'll keep going. So talk to me about how you did that before you made the product and and how you kind of landed where you are now with your product. Metrics are super important. I think for any business to build trust, you have to be really transparent about what you're trying to achieve and what's realistic. I think I'll share a story from my time as being a research analyst. So when we covered ASX companies, you know, we were making forecasts about what we thought a company was going to do in the future. And one thing I really liked doing was what was called a a pre-mortem. So you'd write before the fact what you thought was going to happen. Mm -hmm. So you couldn't see a company's results and say, hey, I always thought that was going to happen. You had to put pen to paper and say, here's what I think. The balance of probabilities is the likely outcome for XYZ company. And so I applied that same kind of logic for thinking about our new product at Morningstar. We're an investment business, so there's lots of kind of analytical people in the business. And I knew it was going to be really important early on to establish credibility in the organization, showing that we were going to be really transparent with how we measured things and setting some ambitious yet realistic ways of measuring product success. And for an investment management product, that's not actually that complicated. Mm -hmm. It's really how many clients are you acquiring, how much are they choosing to invest, and how much is it costing you to acquire those clients. And then once you've acquired them, how happy are they? So we had basically four different metrics, and we set out a range of outcomes when we set up the product, and we tracked them the whole way through. Right. And so at what point do you decide that enough's enough? It's really kind of a very difficult question to answer, I guess, but... Yeah, I think it's very difficult. I think the difficulty with metrics is it's very easy to gravitate to one number. I think you need to think about measuring things quantitatively and qualitatively. So quant's easy in lots of ways. Capturing data now is super easy. Strategy, though, is about blending that quantitative data and the qualitative 
insight and making a trade-off, right? Mm. If you think about it, like strategy is simply just what are we doing and why? I think for us with Next, the decision we made was we looked at the potential upside. If we kept pursuing it in its current form over the next three to five years, and we looked at the potential upside of pivoting and doing something else. So it was less about Morningstar Next not working out exactly as we hoped. Right. It was more about comparing it to another opportunity and seeing that that was orders of magnitude bigger. So for us, a very successful outcome for Morningstar Next over a five to 10-year period was tens of millions of dollars of revenue. That'd be a fantastic outcome from zero. Yep. Our investment management business already generates over $100 million of revenue US a year. Making small changes there can have a much, much bigger impact on our overall business. So for us, it was simply weighing up the opportunity cost, I guess. Right, got it. But now that leads to another point, though. It's when you've got these new product ideas, especially in really large organisations, they're never going to compare. It's always going to take longer to be able to catch up to your existing product. So how then do you justify making these even innovative products, how do you do that? I think that's the tough work of strategy and one, you know, it's a good question for any CEO of any business. The way we've decided to think about things is that we really classify our businesses in different categories and this allows us to make different types of investment decisions. So we have businesses where we're seeding them. So there might be something new that may or may not work Mm. out and the timeframe is going to be long and it's going to be super uncertain. Then we have businesses that we say are in kind of growth mode. So things that we we know kind of the customer proposition is working. It's all starting to kind of come together. And really what you need to do is just let them run and give them some more capital to let the business grow. And then you have businesses that are more in harvest mode. Mm. So businesses that might have been really successful or products that have been really successful in the past. But you can see over the next five, 10 years, they're not going to be as successful in the future. Maybe they're not where the market needs your company to be. And so those businesses can really help fund those two other Categories, And I think you need to get that right at the board CEO level right. because otherwise no one has any incentive to try out new things that may or may not work. Yeah. Most professional managers will pick projects that have very certain outcomes and don't take on a lot of career risk. Mm. Yeah, that's a really good point. It's the balancing of your portfolio, really, of your investments across different kinds of products at different stages in their life cycle. So this leads me to, I guess, discussing your your current product set, which I suspect is more established. Firstly, how do you go from, you know, working in something brand new to something more established? What are the kind of changes that you, in your day-to-day work life as a product manager, going from fairly brand new to established product? Yeah, sure. I'll I'll expand on the opportunities a bit. So in our direct-to-consumer space or how we help individual investors in Australia, at the moment we have an existing research data product where you can go and get some free research and then you can sign up for a subscription. That's being rebuilt at the moment. So mm-hmm. in a sense, the the proposition is pretty clear. We know there's a market there for that type of product. And what the work we're focused on at the moment is really replatforming what we have. So that is different, but I think you can apply some of the same types of thinking you do to a new product. You want to be iterative. You want to be based on data. You want to listen to your customers, like all that good stuff. I think yep. you can apply to an existing product. In the advisor space, while the business is established and over the last you know, five, ten years, we've done a nice job building an investment management business that helps financial advisors, the way we serve those advisors beyond giving them great investment products is quite nascent at the moment. So in a sense, I am working on something entirely new again because that advisor experience for 
our core markets, so that's the UK, the US, here, and South Africa, is only just getting started. So, you know, the team and I are going to be using very, very similar ideas and even insights we got from working directly with consumers and applying Mm -hmm. it to how we build out that service experience for our advisor clients. And in terms of measurement and metrics, do you think it's any different to, you know, your initial kind of foray into the B2C space or are they similar? Yeah, I think the things you want to measure are a little bit different. I mean, the first thing I'd say about metrics is I like dividing goals and KPIs. So goals, as I see it, are what you want to get done. And KPIs are things you measure along the way to see if you're tracking towards that goal. Mm -hmm. And so within that context, you need both longer term ambitions, things that will show you a product or business has been successful over time, but then you're going to need indicators along the way. And ideally, what you need is leading indicators. What I see a lot of in business is lagging indicators. So a good example of that is tracking something like revenue. Mm -hmm. Revenue largely tells you about, or growth in revenue, say, or fall, tells you largely about what's happened in the past, right? It's likely driven by products that have been built in the past. It's been driven by customer relationships in the past. So a business can have great revenue growth, but that might not tell you in any one year about what's going to happen over five years. You need earlier indicators and you need to make sure you measure them as well. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, you can't just measure qualitative things and say that leads to product success. Ultimately, a business is a balance between commercial success and customer success. If the business wins too much, the customers get really angry and leave. If the customers win too much, the business goes under. And so I think you need to balance having metrics that measure both of those factors. So we've spent a lot of time kind of kicking around ideas for advisor experience and they're sort of TBC, exactly what we'll measure, but Mm -hmm. we've got ideas around what makes sense for investment management business to measure Mm long-term. And then also some ideas around what are good leading indicators that are worth measuring. And I think the other thing to remember about metrics is to not be too obsessive about them. I think... I see a lot of data where what people are forgetting is the analysis, right? I can pull up some spreadsheet and show you some numbers. What's important is what's driving those numbers. And my take is most businesses over-metric themselves. They'll have 15, 20, 30 different things that they claim tell you how a business is working. And often that's driven by managers wanting to have some kind of number that's got a green tick against it. The most complex businesses in the world usually only have a few metrics that indicate whether they're going well or not. So financial services, people would hold up a bank mm. and say, geez, Commonwealth Bank, it's super complicated, right? They do all these different things. They've got tens of thousands of staff. How could you measure that business with a few simple metrics? Be like, okay, well, what does Commonwealth Bank actually do? It sells primarily two products, home loans and credit cards. Mm-hmm. And how do they make money? They make money by the spread between what they borrow money at and what they lend it to you at, right? And then the other important thing for a bank is how likely is it that the people who borrow this money are going to pay it back? Even something as complex as a bank, like if you don't get the analysis of kind of those three metrics, right, it kind of doesn't matter what the other 50 are. So I think it's important to really focus in on metrics that tell you something useful and hopefully tell you something leading, not lagging. And what might be, I mean, I love the whole leading lagging indicators and I think that, you know, we don't actually pay enough attention to any of those indicators, um, but what might be some leading indicators for financial services? Not necessarily Morningstar, but just financial services in general. 
Yeah, lots of normal ones that apply across product categories. So customer adoption, customer satisfaction, things that might not translate into lots of customers today, but the further uh, you go towards how new people are using a product, Mm -hmm. right? So the big issue any existing product has, right, is that they may look like they're very profitable and very successful, but actually are doing a really bad job at winning over new customers. What's important is as a business grows, the marginal customer they acquire is less excited about what you do. When you have a startup and it's you know the first 100 whatever customers, they're the people who really love what you're doing, right? And as you get bigger and bigger and bigger, each marginal customer is kind of less likely to like what you're doing because you've done a really good job at winning over all the ones who love what you're doing. It's really important to understand if the product is actually satisfying those people. And I think that can tell you a lot. I like to talk about thinking about your pre-customers or those who are not yet mm-hmm. your client. Existing businesses spend a lot of time, and we're on a podcast, I'm sort of, I'm going to pretend that I'm looking behind me. I, I think they spend a lot of time looking at their, internally looking at their existing customers saying we have to keep them very delighted. I think that's true if you have a dominant market position and have most of the customers already signed mm-hmm. up. Yep. But that's not true of most businesses. Most businesses aren't Telstra, right? If you're Telstra, what you need to worry about is keeping all your mobile phone... Retention. Retention, right? Retention, yeah. That matters, right? If you're a Masim, you need to worry about signing up new people. And it kind of doesn't matter, like, it matters how happy your existing clients are, but you want to worry about those marginal ones. That'd be one I'd focus on for sure. Excellent. Thank you. How do you think, you know, you're, you're a product leader, do your product managers pay attention to the numbers as well or is it more of a senior role to pay attention to numbers i'm not sure how any product person of any kind could do their job without having a sense of how they're going and that's really what metrics tell you right they tell you how i'm going they're a way of quantifying something about what you're doing so i kind of think that's not about seniority that's about the role itself so i do think though it's incumbent on the more senior folk in the organization to set clear goals and how to measure them for people. I think it's very hard to expect someone super junior in an organization that's new to come up with every way to measure their product. That's absurd. You know, the role of leadership is to connect up the mission and goals of the company with someone's specific role. But it's equally on that individual contributor to understand how they're going. That goes for beyond product. Yes. Absolutely. I completely agree. I mean, part of the product manager role is to understand and be excited about how your product performing. But once you do this reporting, from your point of view, who do you report these metrics, these numbers to, and what do you do about them? I'm a big believer in product transparency to the extent that that's possible within your organisation. My general view would be be more open than closed. And so you need to report these metrics to lots of people. I think it is absolutely critical that the team themselves understand why metrics are being measured and what they are and how they're going. That's sort of amongst the team. But then often really what metrics are about is reporting sideways and up. And they're about keeping your stakeholders across what you're doing. I think open, transparent and sensible metrics help drive trust and trust lets you get your job done. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we usually develop some kind of dashboard for any product that we have, and then we use that same dashboard for both reporting to stakeholders and the team, so it's all consistent. I think that's really helpful. Excellent. And a lot of our product managers that I come in contact with tell me that it's very hard to get the data to produce 
a dashboard to produce a report. How do you go about it, especially for new products? That's why people say they can't measure how their product's performing because they can't get access to the data. What are your opinions? I think that's probably true. I think it's much easier to get the right kind of data if you think about it up front. So I kind of consider it a table stakes part of building a product. If you think about a digital product, right, it's table stakes that a website loads in you know half a second or whatever it is. It's table stakes to me that a contemporary product has the ability to measure itself built in from the start. I think the issue often occurs that people build things and then after the fact they're like, oh, it'd be great if I could measure X. The problem is often you need to have thought of that up front. So I'd say it's in the inception stage. And then I also just think that for any product out there, back to my earlier point about people are trying to measure too many things, you really need to distill down what are those couple of things that might swing the outcome of your product and go about measuring them. Because often it's a question of resources, a question of how do I go about measuring this. Start with the big metrics that matter. If I've looked at hundreds of financial models, typically it's only a couple of things that swing the outcome. Mm. That's true of products. So narrow down the focus and then get it implemented. But I sympathise. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for your time. Of course, it's been great. I always enjoy talking to you. Indeed. Thank you for listening to ProdPod. If you want to learn more about the wonderful shows on This Is HGD, we've got others, such as The Power of Ten with Andy Pallane, Bringing Design Closer with Jerry Scullion, and Ethnopod with Dr. John Curran. Please visit thisishgd.com, where you can sign up to our newsletter, join our Slack channel, connect with other human-centred practitioners around the world. Thank you for listening and speak to you next time.